Welcome everyone to Franklin Covey's On Leadership Series. My name is Scott Miller and I serve as your weekly host and interviewer. Today marks our 100th episode of Franklin Covey interviews with world-renowned thought leaders, CEOs, visionaries, celebrities, people who have an especially poignant story, journey, life lesson, insight around how to be a better leader, how to live your life to its fullest. And perhaps the 100th episode isn't as big to our listeners as it is to Franklin Covey, but quite frankly, it's remarkable. It's been two years, and you know, you hear this idea of when is the best time to plant a tree? Yesterday. When is the second best time? Today. So we're delighted that we'd had the idea. We had the support from our clients worldwide and our, our employees, which is over 2,000 Franklin Covey associates around the world, to support the podcast. We hope you've been enjoying it. Today we picked a, um, a phenomenally special person to commemorate our 100th episode. And as you can see the books behind me, there are more books off camera than there are camera. And you can imagine in 40 years, Franklin Covey's had a couple of good connections. We had a large group of people that were inspiring that we could have invited on to the 100th anniversary. And for us, it was no question who to invite. And today, our guest is Nick Vujicic, who is a renowned author, speaker, coach. He's a parent to four children, and he's joining us today from his home in California. Nick, welcome to On Leadership. Thank you, Scott, so much for having me. What an honor it is to be the 100th episode. Congratulations, guys. Hey, the honor is all ours. Nick, you are, um, you, you've got a massive social media presence. You speak around the world um, nearly every week. You are a global author. You've authored or co-authored many books. The current one I'm holding, Life Without Limits, Unstoppable, Stand Strong, Love Without Limits, Limitless. You've sold you know, countless copies of your book. You're an inspirational story, not, not just because of your um, obvious physical handicap, being born with no, no limbs, no arms, and no legs. Your book, I've read every word of this version, Life Without Limits, about 10 years old. You're 37 now, and you've taken the world by storm with your message of understanding your purpose, your mission, an abundance mentality. What I love to do before we get into your book and some of your, your current insights. Nick, would you take our listeners and viewers through your journey in life? Perhaps take five minutes or more and just kind of walk us through. You were born and then what happened? Yeah, so uh, first of all, it, it's been an incredible journey, um, you know, to see me travel around the world as a speaker to now talk about hope, something I did actually not feel like I had as a kid um, being born without limbs uh, brought a lot of challenges, um, not just to my parents, but to the, the bigger thoughts that I had of purpose and why am I here? Why me? And uh, the doctors actually told my parents that they were very sorry that they don't, did not have the opportunity to abort the child. Uh, they actually had no idea that I was going to be born this way. Uh, until I was actually born into this beautiful world. And little did they know what beautiful things could come from tragic and broken pieces as they seemed at that time. Uh, I was born in Melbourne, Australia. And at that time, around 1989, when I was six years old, my parents found out that actually special needs children would have to go to a special needs school. And no one knew though the courage of my mum and tenacity uh, and their love for each other and their family. At that time, I had two siblings after me, born with arms and legs, and my 
parents basically said to the government, uh, tell us why our child without limbs can't go to school. And so I was actually the first child to go to a mainstream school system. And it was an incredible um, discovery process of, of what Nick could really do if he just tried. And so no one knew that I would be able to write with my foot, type on a computer. Uh, and, and I'm just so thankful for the supportive family that I had had who told me, Nick, look, the glass is always half full. Don't focus on what you don't have. Focus on what you do have and do your best. Uh, it was difficult, obviously, being the only child without limbs. I had a lot of unwanted attention at school and bullying was prevalent in my life. And I felt very discouraged um, in my childhood, looking at everyone feeling alone. I mean, many people look at me without arms and legs. That's a challenge, sure. Uh, but at the same time, I think it's the challenges and disabilities of the heart and mind that actually hold us back. I always tell teenagers, it's worse being in a broken home than having no arms and legs. It's about our mindset and our perspective. And at that time, I had a very unhealthy, unbalanced mindset. Really at age eight, when I was not able to engage in activities as everyone else, I would be forced to be thinking about my future and realizing the teacher next to me, they ain't here for fun. Uh, they're actually here on a job. Mom and dad have a job. What job am I going to get? I started thinking about myself and my life in, 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 in the years ahead. It didn't look good at all. It looked very bleak. It looked as if I was going to be a burden to my parents for the rest of my life. I convinced myself when you have fear, right? F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. You have two categories of fear, the rational or the irrational. Rational is the thought process of facing those fears and computing what it kind of looks at, looks like. But letting fear take control of your life to then make you conclude about your future, some irrational thoughts of saying what I said, I'm never going to get a job. I'm never going to be independent. I'm never going to get married. Even if I got married, I can't even hold my wife's hand. Even if I had children, how am I going to hold my kids when they're crying? What kind of a father is that going to be like? No way is anyone going to really see what I am and who I am on the inside. And I started doubting. I started believing that, that there was no hope. And when you convince yourself that there is no hope, there is no darker place than that. And I went through depression at age eight. Uh, I was on a kitchen counter trying to compute in a way, watching my mom cook, thinking, well, if I just jumped off the kitchen counter now and tried to snap my neck and kill myself, then we could just say it was an accident. I didn't want to live anymore. I didn't want to go to school anymore. I didn't want to have to ask for help anymore. I didn't want to be a burden. I didn't want to feel alone anymore. And just surviving through life, it just felt overwhelming. At age 10, I actually attempted suicide uh, in my bathtub. I told my mom and dad that I just wanted to soak in the bathtub and seeing that bath as my coffin was quite a scary thing, trying to turn over, letting water come into my lungs and trying to choke on it. I turned over three times and it was one thing in my mind that stopped me 
And it was the thought of seeing my mom and my dad crying at my grave, wishing they could have done something more. Because I was raised up in a beautiful, loving, believing home, they did not deserve that pain, so I decided to stay. And it was love, love that I didn't even have for myself, but it was the love of my family that helped me to then love them enough to say, okay, I don't know what my future looks like, but I'm not going to go through with this, which I'm so thankful for. At age 13, it was the first turning point in my mindset of seeing my glass as half full for the very first time. And it was when I was actually playing soccer. I hurt my foot, couldn't walk for three weeks, and I realized I have a choice. It's really interesting. The first turning point in your life is actually perspective and the attitude of gratitude, knowing that we still have something to be thankful for, that we're not defined by what the world says and what we have or what we cannot do but actually realizing, wow, I need to be thankful for what I have, for my little foot, doing my best with what I do have. Um, and that was the first turning point. It's like, okay, I'm going to give myself a chance. I need to be the first one that stops bullying myself and get out of my own way to reach my full potential. At age 15, I had a faith experience and a commitment that I had made to God and saying, God, if you have a plan for me, I'll do my best, but you're going to do the rest. And uh, little did I know that at age 17, um, I actually was just voted on as student government member. And the janitor who was cleaning the toilets looked at me and he said, you're going to be a speaker. You're going to go around the world. You're going to share your story. I said, excuse me? <laughs> and he said, I'm going to arrange your first speech. I said, you're crazy. And I actually, after three months of saying no, said yes. And I got in front of five students and my palms were sweating, my knees were shaking. I didn't believe I had a story. And I shared and people cried. And I looked into the eyes of one of the girls who were crying and I could see that she found hope. Eyes are the windows to your soul. And for me to at one stage as a 10 year old, feeling like I absolutely had no hope, trying to kill myself to now sharing something that helps one other person to find hope when I realized that actually you don't need a miracle to be one. And now I've traveled 74 countries, 21 presidents, vice presidents, prime ministers. I'm a youth advisor to three national governments worldwide about youth, about social, emotional learning curriculum, helping the next generation understand the importance of self-awareness, self-value. Um, we even talk about financial literacy in some other ways. And so it's about understanding that you can't change what you can't change. But it doesn't mean that you're not a world changer. Accept what you have, go for it. And if a man without arms and legs can live a life without limits, then so we all can. I have to warn our listeners and viewers, this interview is going to go long today. And I'm excited about that. So grab a cup of coffee, pour your glass, yourself a glass of wine, a martini, whatever you need, because I want you just to sit back and appreciate this discussion with Nick. We timed this for a reason, not just because it's the 100th anniversary, because we're taping this interview in mid-April, and we're airing it within days of us taping it today, because I think in the midst of all of us experiencing varying levels of grief and loss and hunger and despair, Nick, I think you will share in the next hour some perspective for all of us to find uh, you know, joy and gratitude in some of the smallest things that we have. I know you're going to do that. 
I want to rewind a bit. In the book, you open the story with the delivery. Literally, your mother giving birth to you. Prior to you uh, being um, birthed, your parents did not know you were not going to be able-bodied. Talk a bit about your mother's grief and angst around um, realizing that her son was not with limbs. Yeah, look, you know, when, when you have um, a hope or a dream, I mean, we're talking about a firstborn son. I mean, just a firstborn child, you have so many preconceived ideas of the dreams and the hopes and the aspirations of not only what that looks like as a family, but for that person and many unknowns. I'm now a father of four and I know that experience myself. Um, and I, when I even looked at my own firstborn son, Kiyoshi, the first couple lines that went through my mind is like, wait a second, talk about feeling inadequate as a parent. Doesn't matter with or without arms and legs. I'm looking at him, I'm like, and he has limbs. <laughs> you know, I was like, I just can't imagine. In fact, I, I, I held back until I was actually age 13 to really sit my mom and dad down and say, yeah. tell me how the morning was. What happened? How did it happen? What was said? What did you say? Uh, what did you think? I was very afraid to know that I'm going to hear, yeah, we obviously had no idea and you were not the ideal son or picture of a son that we had. And so as I was being born, my dad actually was standing next to my mother's bed. And as I was birthed, he sees my shoulder. Now you can't see my hands because I COVID-19, I'm washing my hands so much that you can't see them. Um, but the, 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 the point that he saw my shoulder, he's like, oh my gosh, I just saw that he had no arm. And then they held me low enough that yeah. my mom couldn't see me. My dad left the room. The doctor came to my dad and, and my dad said, my son, he has no arm. He said, no, 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 your son has no arms or legs. My mom wasn't allowed to see me. They took me away immediately. She heard me cry. She was a midwife and a nurse, so she knew exactly, you know, when she heard me crying that I was alive and I was, you know, okay. But in our life, um, you know, when we don't know what we don't know, um, it's definitely fear that cripples everyone. And for my mom, it was dying to the dream of what she had as a firstborn son in her mind, what it would look like. And she couldn't hold me with peace for four months. And my dad went to see me, unwrapped me, came back and said to my mom, he's beautiful. And so they had a lot of support around them, their family, um, you know, to, to, to tell them, look, you know, we're gonna be here, you know, keep on going, don't give up. So it was difficult for them. Nick, thank you for sharing that. I'm sure there are countless millions of people listening and watching this, thinking about their lives right now and our own kind of petty issues in the middle of COVID. You shared in your story that the fact is you do not have limbs, arms or legs. You have a foot. And on this foot, which has been a very valuable part of your mobility, you have a foot. And on this foot, there are two toes, and there was a, an important surgery that was meant to separate your toes to give you some interesting, um, some, you know, um, 
significant mobility. Talk a bit about that surgery and how you use your foot. And just, you know, off the air, you mentioned that I could take this interview wherever I wanted to, so I'm going to take that liberty with respect to you. Um, describe your physical body so that people can understand how it is you've thrived for 37 years without limbs. Yeah, so I have like a little left appendage on my foot. Uh, my, my foot has two toes on the bottom left of my torso. I'm able to use my heel and toe to actually type on the computer, walk around, swim. I golf, I fish, and I actually control my electric wheelchair that we've custom designed where the seat can go all the way down and then come back up to an average height level. And, uh, you know, at, 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 as a as a child, they were wondering, well, does he have enough strength between his toes to hold a pen in place? And so they did that separation and they found out I didn't have the strength to hold uh, a, a pen in place. But at the same time, uh, it was something that we, you know, anyone knew basically, sorry, what I want to say is no one really knew anything more than anybody else. And so it was like yeah. trial and error. The, the doctors actually never thought that I'd be able to stand up on my own. Um, and, you know, my mother, she smartly, she wisely rolled me around the, the, the floor and building up my core muscles and structure and, you know, letting the, 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 the limitations be taken off and saying, look, you know, failure is not, you know, uh, uh, something that we're going to be allergic to. We're just going to try and try again. And Nick will prove to himself what he could actually do on his own. And so um, I'm actually quite independent at age 19. I wanted to really know how much could I really do on my own? So I've learned how to brush my teeth, comb my hair, shower myself up, uh, uh, dress myself up as well. I can't always undress myself, but uh, we even made tailored, you know, types of clothes for me to become fully independent. And it was around the age of 19 and 20 where I realized that, look, the energy and the time and the focus it takes for me to actually get ready in the morning. I realized, look, if I don't ask for help in the things that are, are almost the daily routines, um, I'm going to be doing it myself and a lot of energy and focus uh, really that I'm missing out on is the things that I really could be doing uh, and and really enjoying my life or taking opportunities. And at that time, I was um, trading in the stock market. I had my first real estate property. I was doing a double degree in accounting and financial planning. And so looking ahead, you know, I wanted to make my first million dollars by 25 years old. And, and the mundane daily things, it was like, ah, I felt like it was getting in the way and draining of me of my energy and focus on on what I really could be doing. And so being able to be humble enough, check this out, it actually takes a lot of humility to actually um, be okay with asking for help yeah. and um, seeing how that also for my caregivers, now me having help um, really have, uh, has been an incredible friendship in that. We travel together and uh, they don't live at my home. They come in the morning, they leave, leave uh, in the afternoon. And it's just been a freeing understanding that there are times where we have to ask for help. You know, there, there are times in our life where right now we've never had counseling, for instance, uh, Scott. There are some people listening right now who actually may need counseling. A lot of entrepreneurs who are writing the checks of the payroll, they may have to turn around and say, uh, I'm so sorry, guys, we don't have a job for you after COVID-19. Um, 
And so that may need some counseling. It's okay to ask for help is the, the lesson that I actually learned, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, mental, um, and, and that all is a part of life. And so uh, we had to go trial and error. It was uh, uncharted territory for everyone. And in the end, your full potential is reached when you leverage everything you have instead of waiting for something to change before you do all that you can. Nick, your mindset is a remarkable part of your strength. You shared in your book that at some point earlier in life, you said to yourself, oh, if I could just have an arm, if I could just have like one appendage, think of all the things that I could do. And I, I think I read that line three or four times. I'm sitting in my beautiful home in Salt Lake City with my beautiful wife and my 401k and our children who were all able-bodied. It made me think all Nick wanted was just, oh, imagine what he could do with an arm. What's the message for everybody that's not just obvious there? What's the message in that thought for everyone? You know, as you focus on what you don't have, you've missed it out. You, you've missed out in life. Um, really, the, the, the bottom line is intentionally practicing the attitude of gratitude and knowing that life doesn't treat you like sometimes we're brought up. I'm sorry, but the way that my parents brought me up is unlike any other parent that I've really seen in a general sense where the millennials have this sense of entitlement. Why? Well, it's because you are given everything you want when you want it, how you want it. When you're given everything you want, when you want it, how you want it, who is talking about being thankful for what you have when you feel like you've got everything yeah. you want and yeah. you need? And so it was the, the understanding that my parents taught me from a very early age. Yes, it would be great for you to have arms and legs, but don't discount what you have. Don't discount what value you have. Your soul, your spirit, your mind. There's not another Nick Vujicic. You are irreplaceable. Uh, you have the choice to determine your future with the opportunities that you have instead of focusing on what you wish you were given. And I feel like a lot of people um, have, have actually missed the most meaningful part of life. It's being thankful. It's finding purpose, life without limbs or a life without purpose, life without limbs or a life without hope. Many people had no idea that I'd be a you know, first class motivational speaker going around 3,500 speeches, 2,500 plane rides. We're talking 3 million miles around the world. And, uh, you know, my largest crowd was 800,000 people face to face. I mean, who would have known that this little boy without arms and legs could reach such a potential? It was because of the fundamental principles that I was taught with that when I asked for something, uh, they said no at, the, at a store. I'm not going to buy it for you. Get your own money. Uh, buy it yourself. Uh, you want to help an orphan? Go and figure out how to make money and give from your own money. And so two things real quick, Scott, for me was I actually decided to vacuum the floor for $2 a week that enabled me to have three things, dignity, a goal, and a purpose. And in understanding that, that not only could I then do something for myself and not just expect given things given to me, 
when I could actually set a goal, it taught me to be thankful for what I had. It gave me a sense of belonging in this world to say, I shouldn't just, you know, hope for this or hope for that. What can I do now? And then I actually, as a teenager, put a photo of an African orphan on my mirror that every day that as a teenager, I was going through difficult times. It was difficult to find my place in this world at those times, looking for a girlfriend and all these kinds of things. I looked at that orphan on my mirror and I gave myself a long, long term goal. You see, my parents were actually refugees fleeing Yugoslavia, uh, former Yugoslavia. My, my mom was six when she was in a refugee camp. My dad was 15. They met in Australia. And they always taught us, don't expect things given to you. Do what you can and make sure that you always give back to the poor and needy. And I realized that when I actually saw that orphan on my mirror, um, I realized that, hey, no matter what I have to face through today, I'm going to push through my fears. I'm going to change obstacles into opportunities that I actually on a long, long term vision, I'm going to actually make a difference in an orphan's life. And today, me and my wife, we've been married for eight years. We've got four children, two boys, two girls, but we also sponsor 15 orphans. And it's always about understanding. Yes, we could say, wish I should have, could have, would have, if I only knew what I now know. Okay, get over it. Who are you? Are you defined by your circumstance? This is when you don't just talk about survival. This is actually, if you have a small business, an entrepreneur uh, mind, what I'm doing, I'm having a whole revolution that I'm not just going back to where I want to be. It's like, wait a second, what is my 10-year goal? Oh, I'm a speaker and I don't want to travel the world. Well, how do I do it in a different way that reaches the world without me having to travel? And so sometimes there are many blessings in disguise, including COVID-19 that I actually, as an entrepreneur in my own industry, see it not just as a negative thing, but seeing opportunity in this difficult time. Well, Nick, to that point, we were talking off camera, and I'm very comfortable having this discussion on camera. You know, you are an author, you're a speaker, you're a coach, you and your family are beginning to pivot your business from, you know, moving off of the live speaking circuit less if possible, trying to create more time for you to be a father um, and, and, and still an entrepreneur. You're in the midst right now of kind of a, a, a brand transformation where you're looking to actually be an ambassador for some particular brands that allows you to bring your message of hope and, and um, um, positivity to some organizations. Talk a bit about your, your interest and what you're searching for. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. Scott, as you know, off camera, we talked about the fact that I do, you know, 35 to 40 speeches a year worldwide. And uh, I'm not getting any younger. And so we've, we've lit some rockets. Number one, I just sold the rights to my documentary life story, feature film rights as well. Um, this is the time. I don't want to be 67 to see a documentary. I feel like there's enough in my life to inspire people through that format. Also, what we've pivoted towards is a Nick Vujicic podcast. I've had 12 million social media fans, and now I've had to start from scratch a YouTube channel. And I'm like, man, I should have, could have, would have. Okay, great. And in the should have, could have, would have realm, I should have done it a long time ago and built my own coaching platform and my own business that doesn't just have me putting all the eggs in one basket to have diversity. I still have a passion in stock trading. 
I still have a passion in real estate. We're moving from California to Dallas as we speak right now. There's a lot of moving pieces right now with, mind you, four children under the age of eight. <laughs> and so um, we really, I do want to be a father and, and be a present father. I don't want to just be a father that just provides. I want to be a friend to my kids. I can, with technology, think outside the box. So I've had multi-level marketing companies that's had me repetitiously. Uh, New Skin was not, uh, one of them. Isogenics is another one. There's a lot of multi-level marketing companies, insurance companies, real estate companies that are really people-centric, that the success of their company is really based on their team, their personal development. And I love coaching people. It all started not for me to have a vision of me speaking in front of 800,000 people at a time, uh, Scott. It was actually me getting up and connecting with the one person. And so the way that we've pivoted in what we're branding uh, approach now is, is that I'm knocking on the door right now for four non-competing verticals. So a multi-level marketing company, a coaching company, a real estate company, and maybe another vertical I won't mention right now. But what we're trying to do is pivot me that from a motivational speaker to actually knowing at 37, I don't want to build another big business. I don't. I'm done. I know it sounds young, but I don't want to miss my kid's childhood. And if that means that I uh, build and attach myself to someone else's company um, or even a nonprofit organization, doing a worldwide brand fusion, me being basically the chief motivational officer of four worldwide companies where I go on uh, a Zoom call with executive leadership or down the ranks, wherever uh, the company needs Nick most to motivate their people, pivot, change their perspective, motivate, inspire, come up with the innovative ways uh, to, to maybe think of it, approach their obstacles differently. That's my wheelhouse. I can take people to the next level. And I'm not in the business of starting new businesses right now. I'm going to stick to my wheelhouse and make multi-year deals with uh, four verticals, Scott, where uh, we, we want to build and add value to what already is going on, um, you know, in successful companies. And so thanks for letting me share. But that's basically where we're going. And uh, if I am bored because I'm speaking less, now look, for those companies, I'll do it, you know, obviously four to five, um, you know, speeches for each company, mainly in America, we'll do worldwide as well, but very minimal. I'll only speak 20, 25 times. And if I get bored, hey, I'll go back into technical analysis on the stock market and do some real estate down in Dallas. I might even get my real estate agent's license if that adds value as well to anyone that is in that as well. It's like understanding that what has worked until now has worked. Now is my opportunity to use technology and the brand that I have built of Nick Vujicic worldwide to then just add value to other people and companies. And if I can do that well and execute that well, uh, that helps me to do my other things that I really want to uh, tell you about, Scott, real quick. My passion is the next generation. And one of our uh, partners is um, Noble Education Initiative. And we've actually got a social emotional learning curriculum 
that we're actually giving out lessons during COVID-19. Check it out, AIA curriculum. You parents who need your kids to do something from kindergarten to grade 12. We are right now offering all these things at AIACurriculum.org to help bring values and uh, decision-making processes, helping them grow in principles um, right there at home. So as you know, Washington, D.C., United Nations, European Union, they've all been talking about a collaborative, academic, social-emotional learning curriculum that has to go beyond academics at school. It's values, it's principles. And so that's an exciting vertical that uh, I'm really passionate about in investing in the next generation. So that allows me to travel less, be with my family, and also help the next generation know the values that I'm teaching my own kids. So well said. I think your attempt to rebrand yourself and to thrive in the new reality is what everyone's thinking about right now. It's my honor to have provided that shameless plug for you. Uh, Thank you. Nick, you talk a lot in the book about your kind of deliberate intention to help people not find joy in mission in material things. When I say people, I mean me. I mean everybody listening, everybody watching. What have you learned about where to find joy and mission outside of our stuff? You know, there is nothing wrong with money. There is nothing wrong with setting goals and achieving them. I had those goals, right? I made my first million, not by 25, but by 27. I wanted to retire my parents. I was able to do that for six years before my dad died of cancer. I, at 19, told my mom, I'm gonna buy you a convertible uh, and retire you. And she just laughed at me. And when you look at all these goals and things, it's wonderful to have them. It, they're, they're, it, 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 money is something that we all need and it helps our family have opportunity um, that maybe we ourselves didn't have in our own life, which is noble, which is good. But it's interesting, even at something like a crisis that we're facing right now, it really strips away the layers of what we have put our confidence in. It's really interesting. The psychological subconscious of when we don't bring a paycheck home, it's a direct correlation, conscious and subconscious, in my value. When I bring less money home, I'm not as good as what I could be or once was. I know a lot of people who have sacrificed all their time at their home to bring in money, to bring in opportunity. And in the end, they find out, well, I just wish I realized that my children needed a father more than going to their best college. And so understanding faith, family, and friends. I mean, seriously, for a second, when was the last time you called up a friend to just see how they're doing and thank them for their friendship? That's more than gold. Family, when you're with your children, there's three steps. It's, 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 it's making important what they think is important, then building a bridge between you and them with their passion, their gifting, and then pivoting in a way that helps them help themselves. These are three things that I do with my own kids. With my wife, we ask each other a question 
once a month. What is something that I'm doing that you want me to stop doing? What is something that I'm not doing that you want me to start doing? And what is something that I'm doing that is good that you want me to continue to do? Do you know what happens to a marriage when a couple actually ask each other those questions? Do you know how fulfilled you feel as a husband knowing that if I lose a job, if I lose 70% of my income in six weeks because of COVID, I'm still the same guy. I'm still the same father. I'm still the same husband. And that's because I have not let my subconscious or my consciousness come to this point that I need to do this and I need to have that before I feel that I can give self-affirmation, before I can give my own validation. It's really interesting, the lesson that I learned, Scott, the quicker I gave my own self validation, value, acceptance, beyond my circumstance, beyond my achievements, beyond my tangible assets or wealth, that's when you authentically, sincerely, transparently know that money only brings you so far, that it's who you are that is most talked about at your funeral. Why? That's the legacy. Who you are, who you were, what you do as a C, I've got 17 employees. What you do as a CEO, not allowing yourself to be hijacked by fear and in an unhealthy mental state, making unhealthy decisions. There are some really big CEOs out there um, that are making some terrible decisions because they're making it out of fear. It's because they've hinged everything, their self-value, their confidence in people, in money, when actually all that stuff doesn't really satisfy the soul and the spirit as family, friends, faith, and knowing that there's a greater purpose and value that we can bring to the world um, that really supersedes any tangible thing we can ever have or gather and hold on to. Thank you, Nick. That was beautiful. I listened intently, and I'm sure the millions that watch and listen did as well. As our time ends here, I want to ask you a two-part question. Um, with no arms and no limbs, what have you learned about people's judgment of you? And the second part of that question, what advice would you give all of us, perhaps including me, that does not have anyone in my immediate life that has a, a visible, visible or invisible um, handicap, uh, what advice would you give to parents and colleagues and friends and people walking the street that may want to ask you a question about your situation? Give us kind of some parameters, permission on how you'd like the next generation to not just accept, but to celebrate and appreciate people that are different than ourselves. Um, I got the second one. The first one again was, just sorry. Just about judgment. I mean, you've been judged yes. your whole life, right? What, what would you yep. share about judgment? Yeah, look, uh, first of all, I, I feel like the first people we need to stop judging is ourselves and thinking that our past determines the future and putting yourself in a box that you never belonged in. Uh, I feel like, first of all, when you give yourself a chance, literally giving your 
dreams a chance. Many people say they have a dream, but they've never taken the time because they're so busy to write down their dream, short-term, mid-term, long-term. A man without vision dies. What is your vision? And when you have stopped judging yourself of the past and you've broken those shackles of that and understanding that failure is not a status or a conclusive um, uh, position, but actually failure being part of the journey. When you stop judging yourself, that's when you see how you don't judge other people in the same lens. I think, you know, there was a time in my life where I judged someone uh, for actually not starting their own business and, and, and having a nine to five job. But that's only because I judge myself in that point and parameter and my desire and my background that then what I think of myself is what I think of others. When you completely uh, start from scratch and give a free canvas for everyone and try and put yourself in their shoes, I think it's you also then understanding, give yourself grace, give yourself time, but give yourself a chance to understand, uh, to stop judging yourself, write down your dream and your goal and find a vision that's beyond yourself and allowing people to be seen as in your life as an opportunity for you to help them break their shackles of judgment as well. For you to have an opportunity to look outside of yourself and see how you can actually help uplift, encourage, empower. Right now, you think that you have nothing to share with somebody on the phone. Uh, you know, you feel inadequate. What would I tell someone? They're going through the same thing as me. What can I ever offer them? Stop doing that. Sometimes all you need to hear is a friendly voice of authentic friendship and love and sincerity to say, hey, how are you doing? Hey, I never got to thank you for that time that, you know, you, your friendship really meant the world to me. Thank you. So any, anything I can do for you? Just that might actually snap someone out of their depression. Yeah. And so when you stop judging yourself and we stop judging each other, that's when the world becomes greater and stronger and unified is when we put the lens on to say, we're in this together. We love each other for who we are. And, and how, can I, how can I serve you? And that's the greatest value that you could ever have in your mindset. It's not like, what do they think of me? What can they do for me? No. What can I do for them that helps them stop judging themselves and to break their ceiling of limits that they put on themselves unnecessarily? And for me to accomplish my dream, sure, it's been great. Two million books sold, great. 74 countries, great. But nothing replaces the passion that I have in helping someone discover I don't have to be limited anymore in this way. And then you see other people break their chains of limits. Man, that's just the best drug in the world. That's why I do what I do. That's why I'm good on one-on-one -on -one coaching. That's why I can take a team to a whole new level. It's because I've stopped judging myself and my disability and my circumstance and stopped judging it as a bad thing and realize now that as a man without arms and legs, I've had one of the greatest gifts of all. I've been forced to be accustomed to challenges, which has actually done a rewiring in my brain that obstacles are not a bad thing. Challenges are not a bad thing. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity. 
I'm going to figure this out. We're going to get through this together. And for me to tell other people, yep, this has been a bad challenge, but it's been the best thing that has helped me to understand that it's the, the mentality and those limitations that we put on ourselves for no reason when we break that. I love that. Um, and so do that for others, just like I can, you can as well. Um, and then anybody who looks at me and, you know, uh, looks at others, um, I think it makes the world beautiful to see other people's perspectives um, of the world, of what's important to them, um, of what, what we can do together that we couldn't do alone. Um, I am glad for the people who've been around me, who've loved on me, who've helped me to break the shackles of limitations, but to understand that this world is full of irreplaceable people. There is some good in the world. There is some bad in the world. And we can either just fold our arms and say, oh, that's it, you know, and what does the world think about me? And this is the government's fault and it's this fault and who did this and what? Nah, man, you missed your life. Don't miss what's going on. Learn from this, grow from this, stop judging yourself. And when people look at me, the one thing, Scott, I want everyone to understand is this. When you look at me, most people actually give me letters saying, Nick, I saw you on stage and within 30 seconds, I forgot that you had no arms and legs. Mm -hmm. And when you look people in the eyes, the eyes are the windows to your soul. And when I look people, I, I, I don't look at people or their business card or what they've done. I look them in the eyes because that's where the beauty is. We are all irreplaceable. And I just want you to know, my friend, no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, you're irreplaceable. Don't give up. We're going to get through this. Together, we're stronger. And we're going to become wiser. We're going to become smart about reaching now for higher heights or doing things in different ways. But let not this define who you are. This is not a conclusion. This is just possibly right now a change in your life that ends a chapter that will bring a whole new level of attitude, of gratitude, um, of drive in your belly. COVID-19 ain't going to stop me. So don't let it stop you. Let's keep going, my friends. On that thought, I'm going to end this conversation. Nick, thank you for allowing us the honor to have you featured as our 100th interview. You have this massive podcast. You're looking for some perhaps corporate or not-for-profit ambassadors. How can people find you and follow you online? Thank you, Scott. Uh, people can go to nickvojicic.com and uh, also check out the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash nickvojicic. Um, I, I would love to encourage you. I've got content there for many age ranges. And uh, yeah, if anybody is interested uh, in contacting our team, you'll see the contact page there at Nick Vujicic. Nick, I'm sure we will remain friends and stay in touch. Great success in your move to Dallas, Texas with your family. And uh, we'll see you on the other side of this, um, this crisis, all right?
Thank you, Scott. Sounds great. Thanks for having me once again. Our honor. Thanks for joining us for the first 100 episodes. All of our interviews have been archived at franklincovey.com. You can click on that, access the On Leadership tab. You can subscribe to the podcast, invite your friends, your family, your parents, anybody. It comes out every Tuesday via newsletter and email. And you can also access all of our podcast interviews via audio on your favorite podcast channels. Thanks so much. We look forward to having you join us for the next 100 On Leadership interviews sponsored by Franklin Covey. Thanks for joining us.